Praise the Lord. I want you to open your Bible with me in John 15. I want to pick up where I was last week. How many felt challenged last week? Ah, it's good, isn't it? Well, I'm being challenged too. So mostly I'm preaching to myself. You just get to hear it, that's all. <laughs> it can be that kind of listening in. But uh, God's speaking to me in a lot of areas at the moment, and it's good to be part of it. So let's have a look in John 15. And uh, we want to ask the question today whether you are a slave or a son. A slave or a son. And we're going to pick up from uh, John chapter 15, Jesus' words. And uh, there they are in uh, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants. That word is doulos or slave. Someone who just does what someone else asks them to do or tells them to do without any understanding at all. He said, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. There's no revelation. It's just do what you're told. It's an issue of obedience. But I call you friends. For all things I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. So you didn't choose me, but I chose you. Amen. God chose you. That's a good thing to know. You got chosen. You didn't turn up by accident. You thought you got here by accident or you came because your parents made you or something like that. But actually, God chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should remain. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples in this and he is lifting their status. Uh, through the Bible, people had not known God as a father. People had known God in many ways. In fact, continually through the Bible, it's a revelation of what God is like. And so various people in the Bible, God revealed himself by his many different names, and his names represented what he's like. God is so big, so it's hard to put him in words. So he reveals himself in a whole number of different ways. And when Jesus came into the earth, Jesus brought the ultimate revelation of who God is. God is Father. And so Jesus came to represent the fatherhood of God. And he's now speaking to his disciples who had only known what it is to live like a slave under the laws of the old commandment, under the laws of the old covenant in a realm of obedience. Do this, you're blessed. Don't do that, you're cursed. So they lived under laws. They lived under laws. But the laws were to bring them to a time when they'd come to know God in an intimate relationship. So Jesus says, I no longer call you servant slaves, People just call to be obedient, but I bring you into a new realm, friendship, relationship and friendship. And that's God's heart for you and me, is that we move from being a slave to keeping laws. Do this, don't do that. Must do this, mustn't do that. Ought to do this, ought not to do that. God wants us to move from that mentality into the mentality, the freedom, the liberty of being a child of God. It's fantastic to be a child of God. Every morning, I have one of my granddaughters just comes, throws open the bedroom door, big grin, and comes and leaps on the bed and wants to just have a hug. Now, no one else can do that. She can do that because she's family. Family have privileges. Family have access. So God's desire is that we become a family of kings. In 1 Peter 2, 9, we saw that you are a royal priesthood. So when you and I give our life to Jesus Christ, Jesus paid the penalty for us on the cross. He took the penalty of every broken law. 
And then when you and I receive Him, His Spirit enters our heart. DNA of God gets into us. Kingly, royal DNA gets in us. We become changed on the inside. And God wants us to come out of a slave mentality and into a friendship relationship, being a family of kings representing Him on the earth. Jesus is called the King of Kings. So that's the things we saw last week. I want to take it a bit further this week. Let's have a look at Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. And in Exodus chapter 4, we're looking at the Old Testament. We're looking at God's plan for Israel. So at the beginning, God began to work through a man and a woman. Then he worked through various people. Then finally, he begins to reveal he wants to work through a nation, a nation called Israel. Ultimately, it'll be through the church. But this is what This is what God spoke to Moses in verse 22. He said, I want you to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the ruler of Egypt and held all the people of God in bondage. They'd been in bondage 400 years of slavery. So notice he's talking about the end of slavery. This is what God's got in mind. Israel's had 400 years of hard slavery. They... Are, they've been under a culture of taskmasters, under hard and bitter bondage. For 400 years, not a single miracle. 400 years, not a single prophetic word. 400 years, not a glimmer of hope. 400 years building pyramids, serving the Egyptians, their lives made very hard and very bitter. It tells us in Exodus uh, 1, it tells us that they made their lives hard and bitter with the bondage that they put on them. So for 400 years, now you can imagine that's generation after generation after generation after generation. Your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, so went on 400 years. That's a lot of history. And so Israel at that point felt abandoned by God. They were living in slavery living as though God had abandoned them, as though they were orphaned and had no God to watch over them or care for them or provide for them. That's what it looked like. That was their experience for hundreds of years. Terrible, terrible experience. And notice what God says to them. He says, you'll go to Pharaoh and you'll say, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. Israel is is my firstborn. So I'm telling you, let my son go that he may serve me. What an amazing revelation. There's a lot just in that one verse. This is what he, Moses was commanded to go to the Pharaoh and stand before him. And he was wanting to, he, he was called to declare something. This people that you treat like slaves, this people who have been in bondage for years, I'm telling you who they really are. They are the Son of God, a corporate Son, a body of people that God says, this is my Son. Jesus is revealed as the Son of God, the literal Son of God, but God wants to raise up a corporate Son. He said, he's my Son, my firstborn. When the Bible refers to the word firstborn, the firstborn was the one firstborn. But the firstborn was entitled to a number of privileges. 
So the firstborn, and Israel would understand this, the moment they had the word son and firstborn, they would understand that meant a double portion of inheritance. It meant priesthood in the family. It meant responsibility to be a blessing for the extended family. So he's bringing a revelation of who they are to the taskmasters. Israel is my son. It's not your slaves. He's my son. You may still be in bondage, but God sees you as his son. He sees you according to destiny. He sees you according to his call on your life. You may be struggling and have all kinds of problems, pressures. You may not even be saved, but God sees you through the eyes of his destiny, says, my son, and he calls you to move out of slavery and into sonship. And coming into sonship meant physically they were removed from Egypt and they physically were put into another land which became a land of inheritance full of gold, silver, buildings, dwellings, prosperity. A, an inheritance. So God speaks to them. But here's the problem. Let's have a look in Exodus chapter 1. Read the verses there. It says, verse 13 and 14, The Egyptians made the children of Israel serve in hard bondage. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick all manner of service in the field, and everything they made them serve was very hard. They had a hard life. It's a very good picture of what life is like when we're without Christ. It's very hard. It's very bitter. We serve many things. Alcohol, work, all kinds of addictions and problems. Very, very hard. And so Israel truly were victims. They were powerless to remove themselves out of that situation. They were powerless to save themselves. Just like you and I are powerless to save ourselves from sin, we need a Savior. They could not resist the taskmasters. They were subject to them. When people are without Christ, they're subject to demonic powers, to sin, to bondages of all kinds, and they'd like to live a better life, but they just can't. They're victims. They're held in slavery. So a person who is a slave most times is a victim. They cannot escape out of what they're caught in. But during that period of 400 years, they developed a victim mentality or a slave mentality. Now, victim mentality is not the same as being a victim. A victim mentality is when a person has a way of thinking. It's very prevalent in New Zealand. And I'll tell you what's at the root of it. And I'll tell you how it manifests itself. We're going to look at it, how particularly in the church, how it manifests itself. And so uh, a victim mentality is when a person has an outlook or a way of looking at their life. You cannot live as a king and a son of God and live with a victim mentality. You can't. You have to shift from victim thinking into sonship and kingly thinking. You have to change. We want to talk in another session how to make that change. So a victim thinking is when the person refuses to take personal responsibility for their life. And rather, they blame others for what's happening in their world. I'll say that again. A person has a victim mentality when they will not take responsibility for their life. That's their feelings, their thoughts, their choices, what's happening in their life, but rather they blame someone else. 
It was my father, my mother. It was the government. It was the preacher. It was the teacher. It was this. It was that. It's the white man. It's the black man. It's the whatever. There's always someone to blame. But prevalent in victim thinking is someone else is to blame or someone else is responsible. Now, if someone else is responsible, you have no power to change. You are stuck as you are in victim land. And I'll share with you just some ways that people would speak that reveals in their heart they're still a victim. You might be surprised. And I'd ask that you'd have a think about some of these things. I'll share with you a little later. And think and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to show whether this is what is going on in your heart. And if you hear yourself talking like this, you will know that deep in your heart, your belief system is, I'm a slave, I'm a victim, and I have no power to get out. And of course, victims look for someone to help them out. They become very codependent, and and, uh, victims look for someone who'll take all the responsibility. Now, underneath this victim mentality, it's not my fault. This victim mentality, it's someone else's fault. Someone else's to blame is why my life is going so badly. Under that is this is the root of it. It actually is rooted in what we'd call an orphan spirit. The belief, I'm abandoned and I'm on my own. You'll find, and I, I cannot think at this point of any exceptions to any person I've met that had a victim mentality that without exception, they believed they were on their own, that they were abandoned. And of course, we live in a culture where there are no fathers where there is, a, sorry, not enough fathers, where there is a, an, a, an abandonment of families by fathers. We live in a culture where, you know, so many young, young ones at school have no father living in their home, shaping their life. And so that orphan spirit or spirit of abandonment rests on them and drives them into victim mentality. I have no one to look out for me. And it's not my fault. It's your fault. And so underneath it will always be abandonment and deep bitterness and certain ways of thinking towards life. God is wanting us to become kings. We have to move out of our victim mentality wherever we see it. We have to confront victim mentality whenever we engage it so we don't get sucked into codependent relationships and bad relationships that just cannot work. Many young people get themselves into relationships that will never work because someone inside that relationship is thinking like a victim and depending on the other to come through for them. I need you. I can't live without you. This is typical of the kind of thinking that destroys relationships, creates a burden and a pressure on people. Okay then, so an orphan spirit can't be cast out because it's a whole way of thinking. It's rooted in bitterness, abandonment, and a whole way of thinking about life. I'm on my own and I'm bitter about being on my own, and it's not my fault. And so therefore, I got to, so to get out of that situation, we have to deal with the whole belief system. And I'll show you how to do that as the Lord unveils it to me. (laughs) I'm only one step ahead on this one. I've been convicted by my own studies. (laughs) I began to find as I started to look through it, elements and areas where God wanted to heal me, and to change my own thinking. That's good. It's healthy. And uh, so let's have a look then about what Jesus promised. I want you to see Jesus' promise in John 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus made an incredible promise. 
This is the promise he made. Now, Jesus has been with the disciples. He's been actually a spiritual father to them. He said, you haven't seen the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus fathered them, not physically fathered them, but he, he actually had a fathering spirit over him. He revealed what a father is like. And so he discipled his sons. They were spiritual sons. They didn't all turn out well, but he was a father to them. So in John 14, verse 16 to 18, he's about to go to heaven. He's about to finish his course on this earth, pay the price for sin, and he makes a statement to them. He, said, he says he's about to go, and then he says, verse 16, I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him. You know him. He dwells with you. He will be in you. Now, here it is. I will not leave you orphans. I will not abandon you. I will not leave you fatherless. I will not leave you without a father to comfort you, love you, embrace you, stand with you, discipline you, speak into your life, speak into your heart. I will not leave you an orphan. The biblical word there for orphan is fatherless. Father shapes identity. He said, I will not leave you fatherless. He spoke to his disciples. He was fathering them. He was a spiritual father to them for three years. He's about to leave them. He said, I won't leave you fatherless. He said, I'm going to send you another. That's exactly the same as the one you've had. No difference. I'm going to send you another comforter or father. He's called the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth. He has been the one in me. He's been the one that's been with you. It's the Spirit of God in me that has manifested what fatherhood looks like. And he says, that spirit, that same spirit that's in me, once I've gone to heaven, that Holy Spirit's going to be released into every one of you. He said, the comforter, the, the fathering I've given you, the Spirit of God will come into your life and there's some things he's going to do inside you. I will not abandon you and leave you as orphans. So what does the Spirit of God do? In, in Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. He said, now, verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons or mature ones in God. So one of the goals in our Christian life is to learn and to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit and learn how to be led by Him into experiences with God and to be led in life. If we're going to be a king, then we have the seed of a king, the spirit of a king in us. We need to learn to get to know Him, know the Holy Ghost, learn how to express His life through us so we can be kingly. What he's saying then is keeping rules and regulations, do's and don'ts, is not going to cut it. What is needed is a life filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of the Father, filled with the life of God. That is the life that will represent God. That's the mature life. He said, you've not received a spirit of bondage again to fear. That word bondage is slavery. He said, you have not, you're not got something from me that's going to bring you back into slavery. Do this, don't do that. I'm giving you something completely different. I'm giving you the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Father Himself will come in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's identical to me. He will come inside you. He's going to lead you into liberty because wherever the Holy Ghost is, liberty. We mistake churchianity 
for Christianity. Most of churchianity is bound and miserable. It's under the law and in slavery. But the life that God intended is incredibly free, so free it becomes offensive to churchianity. It's so free it offends the church people. It really is. It is so free. He will offend you by his freedom. Holy Ghost is wild. Holy Ghost is absolutely wild. Believe me, he's wild. And he's so free. And when we learn to yield to him, our lives become free. Most of us are far too uptight. Most of us are living in slavery rather than the freedom, kingly freedom that the Holy Ghost wants. Kingly freedom. Joy. Life in the Holy Ghost. Joy, peace, patience, long suffering, all the fruits of the Spirit and the life of the Holy Ghost. Whoa. That's what he's calling us into. So he said, I haven't given you a spirit of slavery. When you got born again, you didn't get born into keeping lots of laws. Cut your hair. Don't do this. Don't do that. Put on a suit. Shape up. And you didn't get born into that. You got born into another kingdom. It's on the inside. It's full of the Holy Ghost, full of joy unspeakable, full of glory. That's the kingdom. That's what Jesus has for us. Notice he said you've received the spirit of adoption, the spirit that positions you into sonship that helps you grow to maturity. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness in our spirit you are no longer an orphan. You belong to someone. You belong to God. You belong to Almighty God. You are one with Almighty God. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside you. You're in vital union with the Holy Ghost. Oh, we need to get that into our heart and spirit. Full of it. Meditate on it till it gets free. Free inside. So the Holy Ghost imparts the life of God. The Holy Ghost puts some presence inside us and dwells inside us. He begins to reveal who we are. You're better than that. When you do something goofy, he doesn't tell you off and scold you and chastise you, give you a whipping. He doesn't do it that way. He says, you're better than that. You're a king. You're not behaving like a king right now when you're carrying on with such a cranky attitude. That's not how kings behave. Come on. You've got more in you than that. Let me get control of your life a little bit. And you'll see you can be a lot different. And of course, the Holy Ghost reveals the Father. He reveals the Father. Why don't you have a look with me in Luke chapter 15? So we see what a wonderful thing Jesus called us to. How wonderful. See, the trouble is getting it in from our head to our heart. We have to talk about how to do that when I get more insight. Uh, okay, now we're going to have a look in Luke chapter 15. I want to show you now what happens to many people in church. A church is wonderful. Church is the family of God. But church is God's design. It needs to be run God's way. It needs to have freedom for the Spirit of God to move. Church is primarily His family. So therefore we need to walk and address one another as family. Of course, if you're from dysfunctional family, well, you'll have, you'll have real problems as soon as you get into church because you find that there's someone next to you who's from a dysfunctional family too. And they don't love you very nice. They're not nice at all. They're horrible. And so you've, but they're family, so you've got to live with them. And uh, so 
Jesus brings us into family. Now, Jesus in Luke chapter 15, the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So here's the setting for what Jesus is about to tell you. And uh, he's in a setting where everyone who was a sinner and everyone who was a failure, everyone whose life was a shambles, a mess, who was, a, who was uh, from the other side of the tracks, they came to him. They came to him. They liked him. He was nice to them. They didn't sense any judgment at all. No judgmental attitude, nothing. He didn't look at them and mentally look them up and down and decide whether you're in my world or not in my world. That's pride and judgmentalism, you see. No, he didn't do that. He just made everyone welcome. So he was able to welcome them, hug them, and eat with them, and drink with them. And so you know what? The religious people, the church people's problem was that Jesus ate with them. How can you be eating with that kind of person? How can you have them in your home? How can you be eating with such people? Don't you know what they're like? You know they, they're so sinful, some of it could get onto you and defile you. That's the thinking. That is the thinking, that some of the world's sin could stick on you and make you a mess. Well, you can't have much in you if that happens. You've got the Spirit of God in you to make a difference. So then Jesus told some stories. And you know the stories he told, first one about the uh, lost sheep, second one about the uh, lost talent, the third one about the lost uh, son, prodigal son. Now, I don't want to talk about the prodigal son. I want to focus on the elder brother. And we're going to look at the elder brother. And we'll see if next to you is not an elder brother. If you've been around in church for more than a year, probably you're an elder brother already, but you don't know. It's all very easy to tell. See your response to the unsaved. And that just gives it up really easily. Okay, then now. So you remember the story, just to sum it up, the uh, younger son, there were two, man had two sons, and, uh, and the, the younger son didn't want to live with the father, wanted out. He says, Dad, I'd rather you were dead. Give me the dough. Get me out of here. Uh, give me the money now. I want my, my, my inheritance in advance. And he took off. Man, did he have a time? He blew all the dough, made, had a lot, wild life with the woman, the drugs, out there buying stuff. Man, life was great. And then there was, he lost all the dough. There was an economic downturn, got into great despair, ended up feeding pigs, and finally he came to his right mind and went back to his father with a humble heart. And the father was waiting for him. So the, the one of the most wonderful passages in the Bible, a verse in the Bible is where it says, and the father saw him while he was a long way off and ran to him and hugged him, welcomed him. That's God. That's God. That's God. He can hug the gay person. He can hug the drag addict. Hug the homeless. He can love people. Not ashamed of people. No matter how fallen they are. But there's an older brother. Now let's have a look at the older brother. So they're having a big party. So there's a great, so I love it with God. God loves parties. He said every time a sinner gets saved, then they have a party. Isn't that good? So the more we get saved, the more partying. Oh, I like that. That's really good. Parties in heaven. I don't know what you think you're going to do. Sit around there playing a harp or something. No, you're not going to be doing that at all. It's ridiculous. Having a party. Oh, joy unspeakable. Here it is. So anyway, here was the other brother. And so verse 25, the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. Heard all the dancing. Whoa. I wonder if it was salsa dancing. <laughs> I wonder what kind of dancing it was. It was dancing and music. So they're having a party and having great fun. And so he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. What's going on? He said, your brother has come. 
your brother, notice. And your father has received him safe and sound. And your father's killed that fatted calf. You know, the big fat one? He's killed it. And your father's invited everyone. We are having a party. The wine is out. The food is out. It's all on. The son has come back. But he was angry. And he would not go in. So his father had to come out. And the father had to go out and meet the other son. And the father's got to meet this one. And he pleaded with him, please come in. Please come in. Please come in. Don't stay out. Please come in. But he said this, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. You never gave me a young goat. You never made me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. You never touched me the way you touched someone else. You never poured your glory on me like you poured it on someone else. You never did miracles in my life like you did it in others. No. No, you never did any of that. As soon as the son of yours comes back, he's devoured your livelihood with the prostitutes, and now you're going to kill the cat of calf. Catted calf? Fatted calf. There we go. How did I do that? And he said to him, son, you're always with me. All I have is yours. It was right we should make merry and be glad, for your brother is dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. What an amazing, what an amazing thing. So the elder brother was serving in the field. Now here's the thing. You have to understand this. He had no revelation of his sonship. He had no revelation of the father's heart. He just served in the house. He would be a representative, in this particular case, of the Pharisees and the scribes who had no understanding of the heart of God for the lost. Of course, mentally, when I say Pharisee and scribe, you exclude yourself. Isn't that true? Oh, well, who would invite, who would, who would say, I'm a Pharisee? I'm just a Pharisee. No one would say that think they might be. Anyway, that's how it goes. <laughs> so here's the thing. He had an orphan spirit. He had no revelation of the Father's love, so he too was spiritually an orphan, and he had a slave mentality. Now, when you look at this passage, you're going to see exactly what it looks like in a church context. Let's just have a look in your seat. Now, you notice what happens is there's some celebration. And the first thing is, when he heard about the brother's arrival and the father's celebration, this is what he did. His heart, as soon as he heard it, closed up. His spirit closed up. What do you do when life doesn't go well for you, when you have troubles or difficulties or setbacks or things around you don't go right? Do you open up your heart to God to look at that situation, or do you close your spirit and withdraw? Second thing that he did was he isolated and withdrew from relationship. He would not go in. When people have an orphan spirit and abandonment and bitterness in their heart, when something happens that knocks them emotionally, they withdraw from relationship and connection and isolate. If you withdraw from relationship and isolate, 
it's most likely that at the core of your heart you have an orphan spirit operating you don't understand the father's love and so you're taking it on personally and then what he did was he struggled with deep feelings of rejection and loneliness and isolation and resentment now this is my experience with many people I have struggled with that over many years of my life things would happen that would be a setback and instead of thinking about it right and handling it like a child of God I would go into an old pattern of childhood pattern and become hurt inside and then isolate withdraw shut down it become such a habit of mine I could hardly stop it happening and what it means is there's something wrong in the heart there's there's a lack or void of revelation of the love of the Father. It's what causes that. It's a void of revelation of love, so therefore you isolate, and then you live in your pain and try and process it. And of course you become lonely, and then you'll say church is a lonely place. Well, church isn't here to meet your needs for loneliness. That has to be met by choice of your own to deal with the inner belief system and find a relationship with God and learn to build friendships when you build friendships the fruit of that is you're not lonely if you want friendships you'll always be lonely just think about that okay then so his words revealed the mentality so notice his behaviors revealed what was in his heart he, as soon as he heard that someone else had been blessed. Now, how many times have you heard someone else get promoted and instead of celebrating immediately, he thought, why not me? It's not fair. That inability to celebrate with others, rejoice with their successes, is a sure sign of your lack of revelation of the Father's love and provision for you. And I found very often when someone gets blessed, others in the house will say, why him? They're an elder brother. They haven't got revelation of the Father's love for them. And so the moment someone is acknowledged or comes forward, immediately there's negative feelings and a shutting down, a withdrawing and pain. And it's because of underneath there's a lack of revelation of Father's love for you. When you're full of the love of Father for you, you're happy for everyone to be promoted, everyone to be celebrated. Someone just got a new car. Well, that's fantastic. Take me out in it. You know, instead of, you don't deserve that. That's an elder brother attitude. See, that's what the elder brother said. He doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve being blessed or being generous. Why? Because he needs to earn it, and he hasn't earned it. Where did he get that thinking from? That was his own thinking. I've got to earn it. I've got to earn it. If I just am good enough and work hard enough, I'll earn blessing from my father. That's what he's thinking. So now his words give him away completely. Notice what he says. Your brother has come and because, uh, he was angry, wouldn't go in. So he answered and said, Lo, these many years I've served you. I've been serving you. I've been serving you. I'm the one who turned into the fatter calf. How come he got the diamond and I didn't? Look, it, it touches every. You know, when there's revival and God pours his spirit out, the elder brothers appear in their numbers. It's true. So the first thing you notice, uh, one, I'll give you some key ways of a, a, a slave mentality. 
a victim mentality. Look, people think like victims, they all think similar. This is what it says. First of all, they justify themselves. I'm right. Okay? I've been serving. I've been working. Look, I'm doing all right. There's nothing wrong with me. Don't look at me. I've done something. I've been working hard, you know. So a victim will always think they're right. I'm right. The world is viewed through, I'm right. See? And they justify themselves. Second thing is, you notice, he blames. The son of yours wasted your money. See, so, so victim people blame everyone. So you find someone blaming, they've got a victim thinking. They blame, say, oh, well, you know, it's because of this, because of that. Oh, well, you know, well, it's not my fault. They're not my fault. Very, very strong victim. Okay? Here's the next thing. He said, I've served you many years. What was he hoping? Why was he serving many years? He was hoping to be able to have a party too. He said, I wanted to have that party too. I've served you many years. Notice he's passive. There's no record he ever requested anything. There's no record he ever came boldly to his father and said, Dad, can I have this? He just was passive. So when people got the older brother mentality, here's what they kind of think like. I'll just work and hope that God notices me and people notices me and they meet my needs. Can I tell you now, it's never going to work? Never, ever, ever. Yeah, people do it. I've done it. So he's hoping. And the next thing you know is resentment. Resentment and bitterness are in the heart. You never gave me. I've worked so hard. I've been a good Christian. I come to church. I tithe. And how come they suddenly got blessed and promoted? I've been tithing all these years. How come I never? It just hasn't worked for me. There's a bitter resentment against God. Bitter resentment against anyone going ahead. This is sign of victim thinking. It's sign of a person who has an orphan spirit, that their mentality, they've got no revelation of the love of the Father. And so what else does he come up with? He says, here it is, this son of yours, judgmental and fault finding. So you find when people have got this problem of victim mentality, they find fault with everyone else. You hang out with someone and they're always right and they blame everyone else and uh, they, they don't tell you really what they're up to and they have no plans and they're just sort of passively waiting, hoping that one day I'll get lucky. That kind of stuff isn't going to happen. It doesn't happen. It's typical victim mentality, judgmental, fault-finding thinking. And finally, he refused to take personal responsibility for his dreams. What he had was a dream and a vision of something with his friends, and he took no responsibility for that dream to be fulfilled. So when people have a victim mentality, they do not own their dreams and plan how they might accomplish their dreams. They hope somehow it'll come about magically. That's victim mentality. In the church, it works like this. There's dreams and desires, and they're never vocalized. There's no plans made. They just pray and hope that one day God will do something, and it'll all just come together somehow. Lucky, lucky, blah, blah. Amen. It doesn't happen, if you've noticed. It just doesn't happen that way. Nothing happens that way. If you have dreams and desires, you've got to bring them out into the open and talk to Father about them, and then get planning and taking responsibility and ownership for them. You make me feel so angry. No, I don't make you feel anything. Actually, your feelings are all yours. That's victim thinking. Well, you made me late. No, I didn't make you late. You were late all on your own. You understand? It's in the culture to think that way. And under it is a generation without fathering that have an orphan spirit that have been abandoned and need to be shaped in their heart and their thinking to be a king. This, this young man flushed it. He just flushed it out. So, you know, he failed to understand the grace and goodness of God, how to position himself to receive it. He failed to actually break out of his victim thinking. He was thinking, if I just serve a long time, it'll all work out good for me somehow. And the result was he felt lonely and isolated, bitter, resentful. There was no joy in his serving whatsoever. 
Now, you probably heard people uh, with victims speak. I want you to think about this, because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And so here it is. If you've heard someone saying things like this, just here's a few tick-offs. If you heard someone thinking like this, I can tell you now it's a victim thinking. If you hear them say this kind of thing, it's not fair. Victim. You should have a little, when those, you know, those gas horns, it'd be quite good to carry one around, you know. You know, they've got that tank of gas that's got a little horn on it, and you, you just push the button, and when you push the button, then it goes, Wah! like that, you see. And so when someone says it's not fair, Wah! I hear victim speak, you know, or it's not my fault. Wah! There it is again. Victim speak, it's all coming out. You probably heard it. It's just, I can't. Wah! There's some victims. Of course you can. You've never tried. What have you done to prepare yourself? Have you got any advice? Got help? There's all kinds of ways through. You don't have to have I can't. You've never tried. How much have you tried? Said, I shouldn't have done that. Victims always speak of what they should have done, could have done, might have done, ought to have done. But people who are kings don't think that way or talk that way. Servants always live under the law. No one listens to me. Heard that one a few times. Take responsibility for your communications. Learn to make yourself clear. Check out whether people understand you. Don't go saying no one speaks to me. No one listens to me. It's nonsense. You have an inner belief of a victim that no one will hear you and blow me down, life works out according to your beliefs. Well done. You know, you want to change? You've got to break out of that thinking. You've got to break down that internal thinking. Here's some, you want, I give a couple more. Nothing I do is ever good enough. What? What? I hear some victims speak here again. Yeah, Lord. Here's another one. You'll love this one. I don't have enough time. Listen, that's victim speak. Do you have a 24-hour day? Then you've got time. It's just what you do with it's different, that's all. You don't have enough time. What nonsense. You ask a busy person, they'll get it done. Yeah, because they can make time because they manage their time and they don't have excuses like I haven't got enough time. We've all got 24-hour days. Seven-day weeks, 365 days, years. You just decide what you do with your time. You have enough time, means you just spend it on the wrong things. Here's another one. You love this one. Young ones, you love this one. My life sucks. <laughs> Wah! Big long blast, victim blast. Come on. That is just so bad. My life sucks. Your life's the sum result of all your choices. Break out of victim thinking. Take responsibility. Some of you are already angry. I can feel it. I can feel it. I see it in your eye, the look. Sorry, I'm just saying what the Lord's been telling me. <laughs> I have a bad day. Oh, it sucks. What? Sorry. Better attitude needed here. Break out of that stuff. Here's, I'll give you the last one. You'll find this one in a church. This is very much in a church. No one around here cares about me. What? Get out of here. That is victim speak. Kings, don't talk like that. Nobody cares about me. What a nonsense. Just projecting out onto the world your own belief system. If you believe no one cares about you, 
great, welcome to your world. You find no one cares about you. That's exactly what will happen. They'll walk past you. <laughs> and they don't care. They don't seem to care. Actually, they do care. It's just there's something that you're radiating out that's defiling everything around you and making your world become just like you believe in your heart. Hey? So well, we could probably come up with some more. You could probably think of a few of your own. How many know someone who'd said one or other of those things? You all know someone? Well, just carry around a horn and let a... Now, if you're a leader, you should get one of those gas horns and carry it around. And the next time you hear someone, especially if you're in your leadership team and they do that, just one loud, long blast. <laughs> Snap them out. What was that about? I heard victim speaking. And I don't like victim speak. You're trying to suck me into your negative world and I refuse. Kings don't go into negative victim worlds. Kings challenge them how to break out of their slavery. It's a matter of thinking different. Thank you for saying. Notice what the father says. He doesn't answer any of the things at all. He doesn't get drawn into all of this. He doesn't get drawn into the moaning, groaning, judging, whining, complaining negatives. Not one little bit. He doesn't try and justify what he's done. He tries to try to explain what he's done. He doesn't do anything because he's not a victim. He doesn't need to justify. He doesn't need to blame. He doesn't need to explain. He doesn't need to do anything. He just said, son, everything I have was yours. Just need to ask. Son, everything I've got is yours. Just need to ask. Son, everything I have is yours. You just needed to ask. I love you. The word son there is not older son, mature son. It's a little boy son. It's a child who's no different than a servant because he remains childish in his thinking. He say, child, you're thinking like a child. You're part of my family. Everything I have is yours. Rise up and begin to declare your dreams and plan how to fulfill them and, and ask me for how to resource them, and I'll do it. What a great thing. So the son got a revelation of the father's love. He couldn't receive it because he was so caught in his own victim thinking. Now, Jesus was applying that to the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, who couldn't understand the generosity of God, that God would pour his spirit out and touch undeserving people. But that is what God is like. Here's what God is like. He's good. Here's what he's like. He's good. He's good all the time. And not only is full of grace. That means he gives me what they don't deserve. But we've got a religious world that divides up. If you deserve it, you get it. If you don't deserve it, you don't get it. That's not how God operates, by the way. That's the law. He operates differently. He says, I'm good. I'm good all the time. I'm generous all the time. I give all the time. Believe and receive and open your heart to experience my love and be transformed from being a, a slave into being a son of a great family, part of a royal line destined to rule over all creation. We need revelation of the Father's love. We need to turn from our victim slavish thinking and come into the inheritance God has for us. One of the greatest lessons in the Bible is that, is that the children of Israel, having received the goodness of God, refused to break out of their negative, complaining, whinging, whining, blaming, excusing behavior. And in the end, God said, well, what you've been saying is what's going to happen. You can't enter the land. We can't walk into the new things God has lest we let God reveal His love and open our hearts to think differently. Amen? Father God, we just thank you today. What a great God you are. Oh, I hear the horn sounding in heaven today, pushing on all the negative thinking, all the negative talking, and encouraging us to begin to think differently.